Welcome to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're a covenant church located in western Wisconsin, and you can find out more information about us at BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and I want to thank you for listening. As we talked about with the kids, this week uh, in the Advent season is the, is the Peace Week. We light the Peace Candle. And every year, I don't know about you, but for me, during this time of year, I always think it's really funny because I, I have to come up here and talk about the, the beauty of, of God's peace in what, for me at least, is the least peaceful time of, of my life every year. Um, <clears throat> if you joined us uh, on Friday, um, I almost just tapped Linda on the shoulder and said, why don't you just do that again on Sunday and we'll just call it good. Uh, Linda, Linda, you should take a look if you missed us. Uh, go to the Facebook page, find the, find the video, and, and it was all lovely, but, but Linda uh, did a, a monologue all about um, the lack of peace that sometimes we feel in this season and what it means um, to maybe grab onto something a little bit deeper. Um, and so I encourage you to, to watch it. Um, just to push you even further out of your comfort zone. Now you're streaming on demand. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I always think it's funny because for me, uh, when I light that candle, when we light the candle in Advent, it, it highlights more than anything else um, the, the lack of peace and a longing for peace in, in me um, and in my world. And, and I don't know about you, but in my experience, at least the last several years, as we uh, live in a time where not only as individuals do we feel like we have a lack of peace, our, our society and our community has a lack of peace. Um, you know, just, just watch the news or attend any public anything, right? You can't fly on a plane without people getting in fights with each other or go to like a school board meeting without death threats. I mean, we're in a world that, that desperately needs peace. Uh, a world where uh, the, the lack of peace seems, seems enormous. Well, our, our scripture today is about where real peace comes from in times of, of conflict and in a world uh, that sometimes feels like it's, it's shaking. And so uh, we'll, we're just going to jump right in because we're, we're already cooking uh, this morning and we, we're going to share communion together. So uh, open your Bibles, Luke 3, 1 through 6. Um, our scripture is all about peace, and it, and it focuses on a person named, named John uh, who lived in a time a lot like ours where everyone was looking and longing for peace and, and wondering um, where they might find it or who might be able to bring uh, peace and unity in a divided and difficult world. Uh, so we're just going to jump right in. Luke chapter 3, verses 1. Um, through uh, 6, but we're, we're going to stop at, at verse 2. It's up there on the screen, but check your Bibles too. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Eritrea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene. That's a tricky one, right? Uh, the Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Um, I love uh, trying to read that because all those words are so weird and all those names are so hard to pronounce. That's like a, a classic Bible verse to give to like 
a poor nine-year-old to read, and they spend like months trying to figure out how to, how to say it. And, and when they'll ask me, I'll say, I don't know, Google it and see what it says. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is the kind of, of passage of scripture, those first few verses that, that historians like, um, because historians, they, they look back at old sources and information, and they use that information to say, okay, well then, this probably took place in around this year, right? Okay, well, when was Tiberius um, uh, Caesar, and what was the 15th year of his reign? And so historians like it. They can kind of figure it out, and they can argue. And, and this one's kind of interesting because um, they're disputing accounts of when exactly Tiberius was Caesar, and so they can argue, well, actually, it was probably this year. Maybe, maybe it was that year. But for most of us, for, for um, uh, regular people that read the Bible, um, this is the kind of stuff you just skip right over, right? Like, okay, you get to the names, like the beginning of Matthew, it's that list of names, and you're like, okay, let's just skip to the end of the list and keep going. Uh, our our confirmands, uh, I'm sure, when they get to names like this, you just, you just go down to the next interesting bit, you know? We're supposed to read the whole thing, but I don't know what a tetrarch is, so I'm just going to keep, <laughs> keep moving on. Uh, <clears throat> but it's really important um, um, to, pay, to pay attention here, and I'll explain a little bit why. Uh, because as much as I want to skip over this, as much as it seems unimportant, uh, remember a good rule for reading the Bible that I shared with uh, I share with our confirmation students all the time, is that it was really expensive to write stuff down uh, when when the Bible was written in in Jesus' day. It was really expensive. It was so expensive uh, that when you wrote the first scrolls uh, that that Luke was on. Uh, in, in all ancient Greek writing, they actually didn't include spaces between words, right? That's how, um, how valuable paper was, um, papyrus or parchment. So, so the first gospels, like you can imagine a, a sheet of paper, like look at all this wasted space. I mean, it is handwritten letters from the very edge all the way across and all the way down. And, and it's funny, some of them, if they'd finished a line halfway through a word, um, they wouldn't, or if they finished a word early and there wasn't going to be enough space, they'd just keep writing, and sometimes a word would start here and begin again down here, because um, you didn't want to waste a single space. We've actually found ancient parchment um, that they would, people would write things on them, books like this, and then they'd find something else that they wanted to write down, and they would wash the parchment and erase it so that they could fill it with new information. It was incredibly expensive to write stuff down. And the reason I, I mention that is because if it's really expensive to write stuff down, you don't write anything down that isn't absolutely essential, right? Uh, you know, the, this isn't, nobody's firing off half-thought tweets. You know, this is important. So everything in Scripture, when you read the New Testament, it's really important, Old Testament too to understand that even if we have a hard time understanding why something was written down, um, trust me, trust um, people's, people's smart brains back then, there was nothing wasted. They wouldn't write anything down just for fun, just for color, just for atmosphere. So everything is here for a reason. And so, uh, so this is here for a reason too. And so whenever you come to something in Scripture and you're like, I don't understand why um, Luke thought or, or Luke inspired, empowered by the Holy Spirit thought it mattered to mention that Tiberius was Caesar and that Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests and that some guy named Lysanias was the Tetrarch of Abilene. If you're wondering what that is, don't say, well, he probably just wrote it down because he was like into historical figures. Like, think, no, something's, something's going on here. Uh, and so... Um, <clears throat> here's, here's why. Um, so we've, we've got our names here, here highlighted. Um, 
Luke preserves these names uh, because he's trying to tell us who matters in his day. Now, this was a, a common way of dating. We date things differently today. Uh, but back in the day, as he's setting the stage, he wants us to know um, who's important, who's in charge, who holds the power, and who might uh, be involved in either creating peace in the world or disturbing peace in the world. So, so he begins with the most powerful person in the world um, uh, that anybody who read Luke would, would believe. In the known world, the world was ruled, the known world was ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the most important person in the Roman Empire is Tiberius Caesar. He was the second emperor of Rome. And so Luke starts with him. He says, this is the world, he's setting the stage, this is the world of Tiberius Caesar, the ruler of the known world. And, and next, he just zooms in a little closer on the, on the org chart of who's in charge. He zooms in to the region. He says, uh, so Tiberius is Caesar, and as we get closer to Judea, the place where Jesus was born and the Israelites lived and all these events take place, who's in charge? Pontius Pilate, okay? Uh, he's the second most important person if you lived in, in this area. And then, and then it, it follows uh, another person, a man named Herod. He was the Tetrarch of Galilee, so they, they broke uh, Judea into smaller provinces. So he was a provincial leader, uh, this man named Herod, a Jewish man or a part Jewish who was placed there by Rome. Uh, to be in charge of a, a smaller region, Galilee, where Jesus did most of his, of his ministry. Um, uh, so here's Herod. He's the Tetrarch of, of Galilee. He called himself King Herod, and he shows up uh, uh, later in Luke as well. And, and then uh, Luke mentions all the other regional leaders just for good measure. He mentions um, Philip and, and Trachonitis or no, uh, and Lysanias, uh, the other Tetrarchs who control this, this area broke into three Sections And finally, he mentions two other people, Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas are um, in charge of the high priesthood. And so if you're thinking about the, the way ancient societies were structured, you have, you have the, the ruler who's imposing order over Judea, and you have the, the religious establishment. Uh, so Luke has just listed everybody that matters. These are the people that, that, if there was news, would be on the news. These would be the people that you'd be hearing about. These are the people that making all the decisions that mattered to somebody uh, that lived uh, with, with Jesus. So Luke has named everybody that matters from a political and empire perspective and from a Jewish perspective. It's a list of all the people who have the power to do something about the state of the world. So if you were making a a TV show about this. This is why I put the, the White House up there. Um, if you were making a TV show about this, like today, you can imagine that it'd probably start with a shot of the world, right? And, and maybe there's like, like news headlines going through, and, and the camera is like slowly zooming into Washington, D.C., and it, it zooms in even further, and you see the White House, and it zooms in through like the back window of the Oval Office, and you know, I'm a I'm a TV person, and so, you know, you see the Resolute desk, and, it, and it's a TV show, so it's just the silhouette, you know, he's, he's lit from the front, the president is standing behind the desk, you just see the shadow outline, of the, that's what Luke's doing, he's like zooming in to the most important person, and the TV show, it, it's almost like it zooms in right behind the president, and then it just like jump cuts to a farmhouse in the middle of of the hills, right? I mean, this is what Luke's doing, because Luke says, in the year of Tiberius, and Pilate, and Herod, and Lysanias, and Annas, and Caiaphas, they're all over here in Rome and Jerusalem. The word of God came over here. 
to John in the desert. Uh, in, the, in the world of, um, <clears throat> you know, you zoom in on the, on the White House and it's behind the president and all the problems in the world and what's he going to do? And then, and then jump cuts to like, um, to like wall drug in South Dakota. Like that's, that's what Luke's doing. It's meant to be jarring. And in the world of these powerful men who have control of everything that matters, the word of God didn't come to the temple or to the palace, but to the desert with John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And, that, and that's what he's going for. He's saying in those days, the word of God came to not the king, the priest, or the governor, but to, to John. And it didn't uh, show up, the word of God didn't show up in, in D.C. or New York or Beijing or London or Rome. No, it, it came in the wilderness. To the least notable the smallest, the weakest person on the very edge of society, not even in town, but in the desert, the person with the, the lowest possible chance of being able to solve any problem on earth, the word of God comes to him. And that's what God does. If you read the whole Bible, he does this again and again and again. Uh, and, and so in the word that he gives to, to John, uh, this guy who needs a bath and a shave in the desert is, is this. He gives him an enormous job that John uh, shouldn't have the power to do, an enormous job that, that would be much better done by Tiberius Caesar, who can snap and make the whole Roman world change. But he gives it to John, and this is, this is the job. Uh, in, in John in the wilderness, on the next slide in verse 3, uh, he gives... Uh, the word comes to him, and it says, Then John, a son of Zechariah, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is what John does. And the reason why starts in verse 4. Um, Luke wants us to know why, what John's trying to do. And this is John's job that Tiberius could have done way better. Um, his job is this. As is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and the people will see God's salvation. If you were a regular person, if you were in charge, you know, like Bruce Almighty, if you were God, and you wanted to pick somebody to get everybody on earth ready uh, for God's salvation and arrival, would you pick uh, a man with a big beard uh, and, and no shower living in the middle of nowhere, or would you pick um, the ruler of the known world? I would pick the ruler of, of the known world, even though I, I know the end of the story. If it was really my job, I, I would pick I would pick him, but, but, but God doesn't. And so with this reversal that Luke, uh, he just holds right in front of our face, um, it's saying something big about the way that God works, about the way God's power and authority and peace is different from the kinds of uh, power and authority and peace that we search for in our world. Because most of us, even though we're not in God's place, we think if we're, the world's going to improve, if we're going to do something about how hard things are, what we need to get is powerful, like Tiberius. Uh, this is Luke's way of saying, saying no. The, the person on, on the throne is not the one who sets the agenda of the world. 
Luke is saying uh, the kind of person that has the power to prepare the earth for God is not a Caesar, it's not a president, it's not a pope, it's not a governor, it's a guy who hasn't shaved. Uh, Luke says the world, if it's going to be healed, isn't going to be healed by an important man in an important job, setting policy and commanding armies. The healing is going to start in the desert with people too weak to help anyone. Luke is trying to say, and when we think the path uh, to peace and healing in our world is in uh, big buildings and, uh, and, and policy-making decisions, uh, Luke says no, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says no, the world is remade and it starts in the wilderness on the edge. Peace comes from God, and it comes by the people you don't expect Luke is making a statement that whatever it is that is going on in that desert, and he includes all of these important people's names as a way of saying whatever is going on with John in that desert as he makes way for Jesus is more important than every other person on that list. And we, because we live in the future, uh, we live in John's future and Luke's future, we get a little cheat code, right? We get to look at all of those names, and, and of all those names, how many of them do you know? If you had to guess, like Tiberius, Pilate, right? If you, Good Friday, you know about Pilate, maybe Tiberius, Annas and Caiaphas, maybe. But the only reason you know their name is, is why. If you know who Pontius Pilate is, why do you know who Pontius Pilate is? Because you heard about him in Luke's book. <laughs> and John is the name that's remembered. John is the person that does make the difference. Because in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, the story was not about him. Oh, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, it wasn't about him. When Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee, it wasn't about him. When Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, it wasn't about Annas and Caiaphas. And the truth is that when John, son of Zechariah, was in the wilderness, it wasn't even about John. It was about Christ coming incarnation in flesh. He had a part to play, but God was doing something bigger. And so when we read this, and when we're looking for peace in this season, and when we're trying in our brains to find a way to find peace and sort out our own lives, and maybe the ambitious of us are trying to find a way in our brains to sort out peace in other people's lives uh, with, with control and with uh, extra, extra work, uh, we want to remember that God is doing something bigger than our problems, bigger than each of us, and that he is actually bringing peace whether we like it or not. We can join in, we can uh, get excited about what God is doing, uh, but if we uh, go into our room and lock the door, the peace comes, and if we come and worship, the peace comes, just like Christmas gets here, whether or not you put up Christmas lights. In Advent, we're reminded to practice that, that our calling as Christians, as people who, who really believe this stuff, who really believe that God came and put on flesh, that he died and rose on our behalf, and that he promises to finish bringing peace to the earth that he started in Jesus. If we believe that, in Advent we're reminded that all we have to do is wait. It's kind of like when I, when I was a kid, I was the kid that fell asleep in the car all the time. My parents have so many pictures of me sleeping in vehicles. And it wasn't until I started driving all the time that I stopped falling asleep in cars for the most part. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I can't fall asleep uh, when anyone else drives anymore, uh, but when I go back home and my dad is driving, 
I still struggle to stay awake because uh, when you're a kid and you're riding in the car, somebody else is driving, uh, you can trust them to hold on to the road, can't you? You can trust them so much, you don't even need to look out the window. You can close your eyes and fall asleep because peace is found when you can trust the one at the wheel. And as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we really do believe that God is at work and we can trust him in the middle of it, that we don't need to control others, we don't need to control every circumstance. We can remember that we don't have the wheel, and when the world doesn't look so peaceful, and when leaders and governors and pastors don't seem to be bringing about peace, we can remember that they don't hold on to the wheel as much as they think that they do. We can remember that Christ died and rose to save us and this world, that the work has begun that we're invited to join in, that we can share peace with others, that we can share joy and excitement with others, that we can serve others, but ultimately, somebody else has the wheel. And when we come together, and when we share communion, when we light candles, when we sing Christmas carols, when we encourage each other, we do it all in light of that, that at the end of the day, we're not holding on and we can trust the driver. So in the meantime, We come to the table and wait together for peace and hope and joy. And we trust that the promises made and fulfilled long ago will still be fulfilled today. We have the opportunity to live in the peace that comes from knowing God can handle it. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come uh, to your table, remind us that it's your grace that sustains us, that you're actually holding on to the world even when it seems like you're not. Remind us that you're actually holding on to our lives even when it's difficult and that because of your death and resurrection, if we put our faith in you, you'll hold on to us in this life and past it. And so as we come to your table today, Lord, help us to have the peace that comes from resting when someone else is driving. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to join us in worship Sundays at 10 a.m., both in person or online at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great day.